Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The fight over ride hailing in this province has reached a whole new level. Global News has learned the Transportation Minister sent a letter to the Independent Passenger Transportation Board stirring up some controversy. Richard Zussman is in Victoria with more on this. Richard, you've seen the letter, and the issue here is whether the minister should be offering advice or guidance to the PTB at all. The province insists, Chris, the letter is not advice. It says it right here that it should not be seen as a policy directive. But the opposition says it looks bad that the province is stepping in the way and sending information to an independent body. Transportation Minister Claire Trevena says she wrote the letter on Wednesday to, quote, relay widespread concerns related to the introduction of ride-hailing services and that a decision on vehicle caps should be reviewed in a timely way to ensure the viability of the taxi industry alongside TNS services. Last month, the Independent Passenger Transportation Board put in regulations for the new industry, including no caps on the number of ride-sharing vehicles that can operate. The board will be monitoring data from ride-sharing companies and has promised to look at the issue down the road. The letter is very much a, a conveying of information to the Passenger Trans Transportation Board. I say very clearly it's not directional, it's uh, conveying concerns that I've heard. And that is simply unacceptable for a transportation minister to be sending that type of letter to an independent board. It sends a very clear message. Time to rethink what you did. Politics is playing a significant role in this letter. The letter comes just days after BC Premier John Horgan's Chief of Staff Jeff Meggs met with the BC Taxi Association and the Vancouver Taxi Association. Those associations, though, concerned. On Wednesday, the head of the Vancouver Taxi Association arriving at court saying that this has produced an unlevel playing field and that they are filing a judicial review against the Passenger Transportation Board around the cap issue. We want our day in court. We thought that the procedure we were going through for the last year and a half was excellent. We thought we were going to accomplish things that were going to be on a fair level playing field and that is so untrue. The plan is to have ride sharing on the road in BC by the end of this year. And ride-sharing companies are worried about a potential cap because it could restrict their business model and lead to longer waits for customers. The province also raising in this letter the issue of congestion, saying that Metro Vancouver mayors have also raised out to say they are concerned. All of this adding up, Chris, it is another speed bump to an industry that has been stuck in park for a long time. All right, Richard, thank you. Well, we're learning more tonight about a brazen and targeted shooting in Surrey's Fraser Heights neighborhood where two men were injured. RCMP issuing a warning about one of the victims, 35-year-old Thomas Gabriel Saul. Steer clear if you value your life. As Grace Key reports, Saul has been the target of two separate shootings in recent weeks. 
leaving communities rattled. If you see 35-year-old Thomas Gabriel Saul from New Westminster, police say stay clear. He was the target of Tuesday's drive-by shooting in Surrey's Fraser Heights neighborhood and another just two weeks ago in Burnaby. Police say he's connected to the drug trade. He has provided limited information to our officers, which leads the Surrey RCMP to believe he does pose a risk to public safety. The shooting happened in broad daylight just before 5 p.m. Tuesday. Riddled with bullets, this black Chrysler was targeted with two men inside, one of them Thomas Saul. Witnesses say one man tried to run before collapsing to the ground. And apparently the other guys in the other car shot at the car. Guy got hit in the hand and the shoulder. He was continually asking for help. He was out on the sidewalk. Uh, the other fellow was just down at the corner of the fence. The Chrysler crashed into a neighbor's fence and inside the home, a six and eight-year-old who were doing their homework at the dining room table. I didn't get into the details with them because we just want to give them some time, but they mentioned to, I guess, my wife that they, they saw the people bleeding. Neighbors are rattled. The shooting happened in front of a daycare when parents were picking up their children and a block away, an elementary school where children had attended their first day of classes. More resource officers were sent to nearby schools to support students and families. Sick and tired of it, honestly. This is such a great neighborhood and uh, these guys, why they come in here? By um Using the services of individuals who may be involved in the drug trade, um, you may be inviting violence into your community, into your neighborhood. There's no suspect vehicle description at this time, and both shooting victims suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Grace Key, Global News. North Shore Rescue is involved in the search for a missing woman. They're helping RCMP search for Elizabeth Napierala, who was last seen on Monday at the Woodcroft Complex on Fullerton Avenue. She's described as 5 feet 8 inches tall with brown hair and green eyes. Napierala suffers from medical conditions that leave her vulnerable and prone to falling down. We've had ground crews out scouring the river. Uh, we've got an aerial uh, search team also with our uh, forward-looking infrared on it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're putting everything we have on this. She has been known to go to Dunderave, and she's also come up to the Cleveland Dam, so she can get around. Um, so right now, I mean, uh, I think the biggest thing is going to be public help. If they do see her, we'll just call the RCMP and, and let them know you got a sighting. Kicked. When they're down, that's how a group of residents forced from their homes in Seashell say they feel. Mid-February, they had to abandon their homes due to ongoing issues with sinkholes in their subdivision. But as Sarah McDonald reports, while they haven't been living in their homes, someone else has. They were forced to pack up and leave nearly seven months ago, told they could no longer live inside their own homes. Broke into the bedroom window, smashed it. Though the owners of the houses at this now condemned development in Seashelt barricaded off under an evacuation order, saying it's obvious that others have been. People um, had gone to the bathrooms and broken doors in our kitchen. They had broken the pantry door. Clear signs of squatters and thieves were discovered by RCMP after an alarm was triggered at Donegoy's house over the weekend. It's been horrific over the last seven months. No intruders were ever caught, but whoever has been inside at least five of these homes left their mark. RCMP say multiple suspects were captured on camera. 
Windows were smashed, like Chris and Joanna were saying. You know, just a mess everywhere. District officials declined to comment on this issue when contacted, other than to remind Global News that access to this subdivision is strictly prohibited. Although it is easy to see how anyone else who wanted to could enter these grounds at any time. Our front door was smashed with the pot and then a jumbo rock was thrown through the side window and we have glass shattered all the way across our um, great room. These latest concerns only exacerbating an exhaustive and ongoing legal saga surrounding the Sea-Wash development, which was built on unstable land considered at high risk of caving in. Shampoo sprayed all over the place, um, drink cups all over the place, and it seems like they were living there. The now evacuated owners of nearly all 14 homes filing civil claims, targeting multiple defendants, including the province, the developer, and the district of Seashelt. Who can guarantee these homes are too unsafe to be occupied, but not the security of the structures themselves. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Seashelt. Six of 12 challenges to the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project can proceed. A federal court of appeal judge is allowing the challenges that focus on consultation with Indigenous peoples. Keith Baldry joins us live now from Victoria. And Keith, there's a pretty narrow focus of the challenges here. Explain what that means for First Nations who oppose the project. Yeah, it is a very narrow focus in the ruling here. It's not a big ruling, only 26 pages, and it really deals with uh, only some of the groups that were opposing the pipeline in front of the Court of Appeal. Uh, basically, First Nations are the ones who are, are going to be going forward in terms of being able to challenge the federal government's approval of this particular project. And again, uh, that narrow focus confined to six First Nations. So there's going to be six First Nations, including the Squamish Indian Band, Upper Nicola, and uh, the Coldwater Band, are going to be given uh, the ability to seek judicial review of the pipeline approval. But even that's going to be tightly focused because it's only going to be on the consultations that occurred with First Nations between August 30th, 2018, was just after the Court of Appeal ruled that this thing could not go forward, uh, to the J June 18th approval date of the federal government, the second approval for the pipeline. That's a very narrow focus. Also, the, the court ruling that the environmental considerations basically dismissed. Uh, they didn't see that that would have any standing going forward. So that's off the table as well. And the court going out of its way to say First Nations, while they have to be consulted, definitely have no veto over the project. That's a very important distinction coming from the Federal Court of Appeal. Naturally, reaction to this, as always, very divided, particularly between B.C. and Alberta. And we caught up with B.C.'s environment minister and Calgary's mayor, who, of course, have decidedly different views of this outcome. They have rights. They've asserted those rights. And the court has said uh, those rights deserve uh, to be heard fully in court. I think what I can say is that it's always a good thing when the courts are there to protect the interests of Indigenous people, Canadians and British Columbians. And what we should focus on is the fact that the judge very clearly said that this has to be short, it has to be a fast deadline, he's not going to uh, change the rule of law here, but is going to expedite the process. And I think, frankly, that's actually a good outcome for us. Yeah, that's one of the positive outcomes uh, pro-pipeline uh, proponents can take out of this. The judge did say he wants this done very quickly. So we're not talking about months and months further delay, Chris. I think this is going to be over relatively quickly. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Keith Baldry okay. and Victoria Forrest. And more news from the resource sector. Uh, Interfor announcing the closure of Hammond Cedar Sawmill in Maple Ridge, throwing a lot of people out of work. It's just the latest in a growing list of closures for a sector that's struggling across the province. 
However, as John Waugh reports, critics don't believe the company is being honest about the real reason the mill is closing. Listen closely and hear the heartbeat of the Hammond community. The sounds that have come from this Maple Ridge sawmill for more than a century are about to be silenced. That for me was very, very hard to hear, you know, being that I've been coming here for 39 years. Workers say only a collective gasp could be heard after Interfor delivered the devastating news. The Hammond sawmill will be shut down by year's end. The future of upwards of 200 workers and contractors left uncertain. It's pretty somber, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of guys are really don't know what, what's going to happen. The company is pointing to a dwindling timber supply and high duties for exports to the U.S. due to the softwood lumber dispute. Right now, B.C. is facing a significant uh, concern in its ability to operate in global markets. But the Mill Workers Union says Interfor's record profits are proof in this case. Blaming the forestry crisis for the closure is a cop-out. What they're trying to do is, is sell off a business that is making profit, but not as much profit as they can in other areas. Another loss, part of Hammond's historic identity, created by the generations of workers that made this their second home. Everything from having a significant baseball team and being really involved in the original Port Hammond community, uh, you know, we just want to recognize the contributions that uh, the mill has made. While the work will continue until the remaining cedar is processed and shipped, Mill employees believe that could be a matter of weeks, not months. It's going to be very strange when that door closes the last time and, uh, you know, we don't have a shift to come back to. And the slowing heartbeat at the centre of this community finally stops. John Hua, Global News. Meantime, the tech industry is thriving with a Metro Vancouver software company that helps law practices run more efficiently, doing very well. It may not sound like the sexiest startup, but... Clio just raised an eye-popping quarter-billion-dollar U.S. investment, one of the largest in Canadian history. Ted Chernecki has more on what the company does and how it plans to use the money. It doesn't take long to notice that this is an office space with a difference. It's one of those offices where you can do so much more, like bring your dog to work. How cool is it to bring your dog to work? That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely brings a lot of... Stress relief for a yeah, lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> where that coveted corner office is occupied by a pool table, where the boss doesn't even have an office but mingles with all the other staff. This is Cleo. In Greek mythology, Cleo is the goddess of history. And here in Burnaby, history is being made. Cleo's Series D funding round is $250 million U.S., which is the largest funding round of its type in Canadian history. Clio makes cloud-based legal technology for lawyers and their clients. This Burnaby company says it will revolutionize the legal system, and it's clearly got the backing of some serious heavy hitters in the investment community. It makes a big difference to have the right kind of investors. So investors who are used to investing in companies like Netflix, like Spotify, and now like Clio, that are going to be big global name brands. 11 years ago, it occurred to the founders that the legal profession was one of the last to adopt technology. It was time to make it more affordable for small firms and their clients. And we think accessing a lawyer and getting great legal advice should be as simple as picking up your smartphone and having access to a great lawyer who can help you with your legal issue. But what about all that lawyer-client privileged information living in a cloud? A professionally managed cloud environment for law firm data is actually more secure 
than lawyers trying to host their data on-premise on their own. If you think about older technology, like a fax machine, that's completely insecure. Anybody who's walking past it can just pick it up and see private information. The cloud is actually far, far more secure than what it replaces. Investors with a proven track record agree, and with $250 million U.S. to spend, there are job openings aplenty. Before the year is out, 100 new employees will be hired in Burnaby. Their workstations await. Ted Chernecki, Global News. But right now, the first person and one of only two in the world to be cured of HIV is in Vancouver today. The BC Center for Excellence in HIV AIDS hosting Timothy Ray Brown, also known as the Berlin Patient. Nadia Stewart explains why his case is so unique and how it's renewing hope of one day finding a global cure. Timothy Ray Brown's story is unique and compelling. He's the first person in the world to be cured of HIV. You said as well that you didn't really believe it at first. Why right. didn't you believe it at first? Um, because I didn't think it was possible. He'd been living in Berlin, receiving HIV treatment for 11 years, but he was diagnosed with leukemia. When treatment for that condition failed, his doctor had an idea. What if they replaced Brown's immune system using a stem cell transplant from a person who was born immune to HIV infection? The idea was that if I was, my own immune system was replaced with one that is, was immune to HIV, I, I too would become immune to HIV. It had never been tried before, and it worked. That was back in 2007. Timothy is a real inspiration, showing us that medically it's possible. Possible, but not without challenges. Scientists still don't know how to cure retroviruses. A second patient was cured of HIV in March of this year, but the circumstances surrounding both cases are very similar. The cure came by way of treating another disease and following chemotherapy. Do you still have hope for a cure? I do now more than I had before. But for Tom McCauley, who's been living with HIV for years, this is a sign of progress. He says for decades, an HIV diagnosis was a death sentence until treatment took center stage. Now the focus is shifting. This sparks the first note that science can take to go down a new direction of, of research that I'm hoping will end up in a cure. The ultimate goal of finding a safe, scalable cure for HIV, still a dream, but one within reach. Nadia Stork, Global News. The movement to paint rainbow crosswalks in support of the LGBTQ community has hit a roadblock in the Fraser Valley. As Catherine Urquhart reports, Chilliwack City Council has decided against a colorful crossing despite a petition supporting the idea. In downtown Chilliwack, a temporary rainbow crosswalk in support of inclusivity. The rally coming after city council rejected requests to install a permanent version. I think it's disappointing, but it wasn't unexpected. The divisiveness that is in our community has been here for a long time. Amber Price and others collected nearly 800 signatures from people who support painting the 19-foot piece of pavement. But Tuesday night, Chilliwack Council turned down the idea. Jason Lum, the sole councillor to support the crosswalk. It just means we got more work to do and that we uh, put our heads down and see if we can't start to work to build consensus and support for tolerance in this community. I've always taken the responsibility of spending taxpayer dollars extremely seriously, and this is not an appropriate use of taxpayers' dollars. I think it is very divisive uh, issue. Uh, obviously, um, but for me it's 
where would it end? Only weeks ago, two rainbow crosswalks were installed on First Nations land in Chilliwack at Eagle Landing Mall. The decision by council to say no, clearly frustrating for some. What I saw yesterday at City Council was a real slap in the face to um, to just citizens. We, City Council showed us that our voices don't matter. They won't even give us an opportunity to speak. Our higher authority hasn't set the precedence of inclusion, respect, and diversity. I think that that needs to be set by the people who are in authority so that that becomes the bottom line. Price's council's vote was a setback, but she's not giving up on bringing a rainbow crosswalk to downtown Chilliwack. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. There are indications tonight that WorkSafe BC is backing down from new regulations that BC's golf courses say would have been disastrous. As Kylie Stan reports, WorkSafe wanted to put roll cages and seat belts in golf carts. So this is a 2019 club car tempo. It's their new version out. Padded seats, six batteries, and plastic siding. The design is simple for a reason. It's very, very hard to tip these things. But that hasn't stopped WorkSafe BC from putting forward a plan requiring all golf courses across the province to outfit motorized equipment with seat belts and rollover protection bars. It, it really is a very, very stupid idea. Pushback from the industry has been swift and harsh. It just makes no sense whatsoever. It's not only being called impractical, but also costly. Wrencher estimates it would come to roughly $2,000 to retrofit each cart. An $80,000 hit for his fleet, potentially $20 million for the industry as a whole. That will inevitably be passed down to golfers, who oh find the idea Seriously. laughable. So I think it's more important that the beer is secure in the holder. Safety first. Even politicians are weighing in. Who's going to police it so you get a two-stroke penalty if you get caught? Come on. This is ridiculous. And so WorkSafe BC is taking another step, saying based on stakeholder feedback, WorkSafe BC intends to limit the proposed changes to golf course workers only and workers in other industries where golf carts may be used. The proposed changes would not affect the public or golfers. WCB have the tools to understand that the, the, the workers' health and safety is protected. And that's the bottom line. But even the revised proposal to cover workers only goes too far for Rencher. These types of things would be just a major, major setback beyond what we could even imagine. Additional consultation and public hearings will be conducted this fall. There is no timeline on a decision either way. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Order! Order! British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is having a rough week. His plan for a snap election is now on hold after lawmakers rejected his motion to dissolve Parliament and call an early vote. It was his third major loss in his push for a hard exit from the European Union. Earlier today, Parliament approved a deal designed to block a no-deal Brexit. 
Hurricane Dorian is now battering the coastlines of Georgia and North and South Carolina after leaving Florida behind relatively unscathed. Meantime, the death toll in the Bahamas has risen to 20, with more fatalities expected. The United Nations says tens of thousands of people need immediate life-saving assistance. The early estimates of what Dorian has done in the Bahamas are truly staggering. About half of the homes here, if not more, are either destroyed or damaged. All of my family lives in Marsh Harbor and, and everybody lost everything. And at this point in time, about 60,000 people find themselves without any access to clean drinking water. They need every piece of help they can get. We will need the world to help us with this one. And for the first time today, we're really starting to see those rescue and relief efforts begin in earnest. I'm standing in front of the very hospital that a lot of those people on Abacow Island came to after being rescued by Coast Guard and Army helicopters that have essentially been working nonstop since the weather finally improved enough to allow them to move into Abacow Island and rescue those people, bring them here to Nassau where they were loaded onto ambulances and brought to this hospital. Right now on Grand Bahama, 50,000 people facing unprecedented flooding. We are in the midst of one of the greatest national crisis in our country's history. Morgan Chesky, NBC News, Nassau, Bahamas. And a group of Canadian volunteers is among the teams helping out in the Bahamas tonight. The Canadian nonprofit organization Global Medic has sent a rapid response team with a thousand emergency kits and water purification units. On record, we can't land big aircraft where we want to go. So it's going to be onto boats or smaller helicopters or tiny planes, probably boats because of the way those airports are looking. So it's going to be less and less hand bombing stuff. It's just going to make it harder. In Health Matters tonight, as BC's children head back to school, teachers and administrators find themselves dealing with the latest health threat for students, e-cigarettes. Linda Aylesworth has some shocking facts that should make anyone think twice about vaping. There was a time when smoking tobacco was considered harmless, even healthy. Doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? We know better now. But while tobacco use continues to decline, a new nicotine delivery system is on the rise. Right now, we have one in five adolescents who said they used e-cigarettes in the past month, and that is more than the number of adolescents who have tried cigarettes ever. Manufacturers of e-cigarettes, which vaporize flavored liquids containing nicotine, say their intended targets are adults trying to kick the habit. But in reality, youths are also being attracted by colorful ads and social media. There's a number of um, YouTube videos that people watch where they're doing um, really cool steam tricks. That creates a social norm about it being popular and it being cool. Another draw. There's absolutely the suggestion in these communities that this is a much safer um, scenario than traditional cigarette smoking. But is it safer? Well, I don't think there's any question that there's toxicity. I, I challenge anyone to suggest that there's not toxicity. It's more than just a hunch. In the last few months, there have been as many as 300 cases of severe lung disease attributed to vaping in the U.S. My chest felt like it was collapsing and tightening up and I couldn't breathe. It felt like I was genuinely having a heart attack. I suspect, ultimately, that we will see the same type of thing in Canada because there's no reason fundamentally it should be any different. It's the same product. 
Many school boards have some sort of policy in place. In Surrey... The youth know if they get caught vaping on school property, there's a possibility that they'll be referred to our substance use liaison team or even suspension maybe if it's a repeat offence. They add that this is not a problem that can be managed entirely by the school. Parents play a big role. Really talk about and, and question and maybe even go looking for some of the research together. I mean, ultimately, they're going to make the decision. And so the best you can do is to continue to have those conversations. Because while adolescents may think that vaping is safe, there's no disputing the fact that nicotine, which one e-juice pod contains 20 cigarettes worth, is addictive. And getting hooked now could lead to a lifelong struggle. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. As Toronto gears up for its prestigious film festival, a local coffee shop is hoping celebrity lightning will strike twice. After scoring big last year with Canadian superstar Ryan Gosling wandering in, Grinder Coffee is angling for a visit from another Hollywood A-lister. Gerard and Jones, not exactly TIFF Central, but there's a little coffee shop doing its best to grab a little pre-TIFF buzz. We up it every year. We try our best. The best this year involves Hollywood A-lister Tom Hanks. What are you hoping for? For him to show up and have coffee with us. Maybe a sandwich, maybe a little snack, a little conversation. Maybe a little far-fetched, except it worked last year. Joelle Murray, the owner of the Grinder Coffee Shop, started a social media campaign just before TIFF to get Canadian movie star Ryan Gosling to drop in. I didn't really expect him to come. It worked. I was like, oh. I also kind of hugged him up hard and got really excited that he was here because he's very handsome in real life. This year, the goal is Hank's. And the excitement is building for some. I would like to meet Tom Hanks here. <laughs> That'd be nice. That would be interesting. Yes. For others, it's about the coffee, not so much Tiff. Would you like to see him here? Um, Are you a big Tiff guy? Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> this year, Ryan Gosling has been moved to the back of the shop. Tom Hanks has been taken on the road. We're taking Tom on the TTC to show him exactly how to get to Grinder, get pre-TIFF ready. You know, he's yeah. got a big TIFF gala. Tom Hanks is due in Toronto on Saturday. Joelle is hoping he sees the hype before he arrives. She's also hoping he checks out globalnews.ca. Remember, Tom, Grinder Coffee, 1021 Gerard Street East. See you Saturday. Tom Hayes, Global News. An offer he can't refuse. All right, how about this? A Virginia woman's $25 solution to a problem bear. So effective, the neighbors are doing it now, too. That story right after the forecast with Yvonne Shell, who's in for... Christy, and yeah, lightning was big across the province last night. Yeah, we had a storm rolling in, uh, cells that were popping up. Some video that showed us that, especially into the Okanagan yesterday, it was tracking through that region. We had lightning strikes. Impressive video of what we saw last night. We had heavy rain, very gusty winds, and some of the thunderstorms did produce hail. So a uh, fantastic video that was sent in. So thank you so much. And that was the light show that we did see yesterday. And it was much calmer, especially as we got in through the day today. And that was similar across the 
the interior. Here's a shot overlooking the North Shore Mountains. It's been warm through the day today. Temperatures away from the water with the Humidex feeling closer to 30 degrees. We can see that to Hope and to Abbotsford and for areas near the water, even getting up to 25 degrees inland across the island as well. Here's the next weather maker that we'll be tracking. It is going to push its way in for the northern half of the province, but the timeline of it, most areas across coastal sections tomorrow, a nice break. For tomorrow morning, we've got some fog patches. They'll dissipate and then by the afternoon, sunny and dry. And then that next weather maker is going to move in across the north coast. It'll be Friday morning and a bit of a change on the way across Metro Vancouver will be for the weekend, but we still got two more hot days. Temperatures away from the water tomorrow, feeling into the low 30s. The northern half tomorrow, so a dry one. Get out and enjoy it. We will see more cloud cover across the central interior. It'll remain dry, hot and sunny for the southern interior and coastal sections with the clear skies and calm winds for the morning. Fog patches and then dissipating. A hot one for tomorrow, away from the water, up to 29 degrees. Still warm and sunny for Friday. A change on the way. Saturday, Sunday, we could see some showers popping up. It'll be late in the day and then unsettled into early next week. Tonight's weather window, a great shot that was taken from Wreck Beach. The sunset taken by Kevin. Chris? Oh, been some nice sunsets lately. Thanks very much, Siobhan. Virginia's Joni Moss was at her wit's end with a bear that kept raiding her garbage. Does this sound familiar to people here in the Lower Mainland? She tried everything, including locks, but they didn't work. So she spent $25 on a motion-activated Halloween skeleton. And when she checked her security video, she discovered it works like a charm. <laughs> Got you again. It never gets old. It was hilarious just to see the first time it scared the bear because I was kind of having doubts that it was actually going to work. Joni says the skeleton has worked a number of times and now a bunch of her neighbors are also giving it a try. Squires here with sports. The team is starting to come together for the Yes, they're at uh, Rogers already. Yeah. Hanging out together. Uh, Brock Besser, though, isn't there. He still isn't signed. They are talking, but they're not close yet. However, Nikolai Goldobin did get a new contract today. It is only a one-year deal for 900000 I think you have to look at this as kind of a last-chance deal for Goldie. You know, we've been patient with him uh, in his development as a player, and, and, you know, we thought, like, he made some strides last year, so we want to continue to work with him. And, you know, but now he's going to have to take ownership of it, and he's going to have to come in and earn a place on the team and earn his ice time, and he understands that. Goldobin's problem is he hasn't scored enough. But if you go back in his pro career, he really never has had a big year scoring goals. He certainly has the skill, but if he can't turn on the red light in the NHL, he's not going to stay here. He needs to produce. He needs to score goals. And, um, you know, I think we talked, you know, with him at the end of last year, and he's put in, apparently, you know, listening to his agents and, you know, people that have seen him, he's put in the work this summer, so we'll see where he's at at camp. Now, there's a whole bunch of young restricted free agents still waiting on new contracts. Brock Besser is one of them, Mitch Marner, Matthew Kachuk, Patrick Laine, Mikkel Rantanen, Kyle Connor, Charlie McAvoy, Zach Wierenski are some of those players, and they're all very good players, and they all want big raises. One of those restricted free agents who did get a deal today is Arizona's Clayton Keller. Eight years worth 
just over $7.1 million per year. Now, Keller, I would say, is in a lower bracket than most of the players I just named, if not all of them. So when someone like Brock Besser sees what he got in Phoenix, it's going to be hard for the Canucks to talk him off of wanting $7 million at least. But in their negotiations, the Canucks have discussed every type of contract with Brock Besser. You know, we, you know, we've talked about, we've got, our options are open on both. We've talked about what a longer-term deal looks like and what a shorter-term deal looks like. And, you know, we want to figure out something that, you know, that's, you know, fair for the team here moving forward with all these good young players we have. And that's fair to the player. As we said, a whole bunch of Canucks are in town already. Training camp is not until the following weekend in Victoria. Among those here early is Rookie of the Year Elias Pettersson. But ever since last season ended, with Pettersson in a slump in the last 20 games, he has been thinking about how to be a star for Vancouver from October all the way to April at least. I'm really motivated. I'm really happy to be back. Uh, like The last two weeks felt like a lifetime because I really wanted to come back to Vancouver. So... I'm happy to be back, really motivated to see all the guys and also new guys in the team. So, yeah, I'm really excited. To give you an idea how motivated Elias Pettersson is, he barely took any time off following the Canucks season. Two weeks when it was over, then a week and a half after the World Championship. Since the end of May, it's been all about getting stronger and, yes, better for his second NHL season. This summer I knew was uh, what I was preparing for. Uh, so, so I've been working a lot on my conditioning to get more leg power and to hopefully to play a full 82-game season and hopefully playoffs. So I know, I know what I'm, I'm expecting now because at the end of the last season I felt kind of tired and not 100% energy towards every game. So that have been like the main focus this summer. There's no question the NHL's Rookie of the Year ran out of gas the final third of the season. Be it teams keying in on him or just simply dealing with the rigors of an 82-game campaign, he hit a wall and wasn't the same dominant skater that we all witnessed for the first three months of the year. In the Canucks' final 31 games of the season, Pedersen had just one even-strength goal. Like, I'm not expecting anything this season. Uh, like, I've been working out this summer a lot just to... <clears throat> get better, get stronger and uh, to be as prepared as possible because I want to evolve, get better every day and, uh, and become a better player every day and, and yeah. <laughs> English is getting better. Bianca Andrescu, quarterfinals US Open against Elise Mertens. Mertens won the first set. Andrescu looked a little off her game, maybe nervous, not sure. Mertens was getting a lot of shots on the line, too, that were staying in. She won the first set. Second set, this seemed to get Andreescu going. This point right here. And from there, she would go on to win the second set. This is set point 6-2. One thing about Andreescu, she loves the three-set marathons. She has now won 12 straight of those. This is match point. So 3-6-6-2-6-3. Canada has a woman in the semifinals at the U.S. Open. 
TransLink has plans to drastically increase service, but to do it, they have to hire hundreds of new bus drivers. They brought in a new high-tech simulator to get recruits up to speed, and Global's Jordan Armstrong took a turn behind the wheel to see if he has the right stuff. You know how Mother always said, don't pick up strangers or hitchhikers? Well, forget that advice when you're a bus driver. Well, I'm going to hit the curb. Thankfully, this is just a simulator, a very realistic new training tool at the Coast Mountain Depot in Vancouver. Nice turn. We can change it to nighttime, we can change it to rain, we can change it to snow, we can create really dense traffic conditions. I'm put through the paces with unpredictable traffic. Crazy drivers in this city. Lousy weather. <laughs> and a reverse maneuver into the bus depot. Give a couple of toots with your horn before you start backing up to let everybody know. Do we still have all our mirrors? Yeah, we do. We've got our mirrors. Yeah. The bus is undamaged. That's remarkable. Pretty good, yeah. Open the front door. Now it's time for the real thing. But before rubber meets the road, a 20-minute pre-trip inspection that covers everything. Brake lights, taillights. Wipers, nuts, it's nice and solid. My mirrors, my windows. Troy Ivey is in his third week of training. He's one of about 700 new drivers Coast Mountain plans to hire by the end of next year. It should close. That's perfect. In a normal year, a non-expansion year, we would be hiring and training about 160 to 170 conventional operators. So we're, we're really going gangbusters. We're looking to hire a lot of people. The pay starts at 22 bucks an hour, rising to $32 after two years. So, am I en route to a new career? And go ahead and really lean into the brakes. <laughs> well, um, your day job is pretty cool, but uh, this is an awfully fun job, and if you're good with the public, this is a great job. Jordan Armstrong, staying put at Global News. All my passengers survived. <laughs> Very glad to hear it, Jordan. But nice job behind the wheel there. He even Kept drove the in the snow. That's right, yeah, yeah, with those crazy lower mainland drivers. <laughs> Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go. Uh, we've got a few morning fog patches tomorrow. It clears out. We've got sunshine. It's still warm and sunny over the next two days. A bit of a change on the weekend. It'll be a touch cooler. We could even see a chance of showers. On Monday for the CKNW Kids Fund Golf Tournament, I'm seeing rain showers. You know what? That's a few be... days out. Let's, we'll refine that. We'll look at it again. Let's make some adjustments. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much. <laughs> thanks for watching. Have a good night.